This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. It's hard on a Sunday morning in the time we have allotted to tell you everything God has been doing, God is doing, and God is going to do. But we want you to know because it's not us doing it, it's us doing it. The church isn't a what, the church is a who. Um, In the middle of Acts, uh, Luke stopped saying they and he starts saying we. And the only difference was uh, Luke got in the boat. So if you're in the boat, you're a we. Um, If you want a certificate uh, suitable for printing, we could find one on the internet. But we we don't have like an official membership. We're just on the same team inviting you in. So this is a part of that to let you know. Uh, And I'm honestly, I want you there because I want you to know that we made some promises two years ago that God miraculously has allowed us to keep. Um, we never wanted this building to become uh, a God. We didn't want the thermometer on the wall. You guys getting beat over the head week after month after year until we pay this thing off. Uh, screw all that. Now we wanted to... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, there's children. I'm sorry. Don't say that. Don't say that. But I'm just saying, I mean, you have to cut me some slack. I've been in Haiti all week. I'm a little raw. <laughs> But we don't, we don't, the mission is still important. That thing is going to keep us from getting rained on. It's going to keep us from getting hot in the summer. But we don't want that. That's not our, that's not our God. It's not our idol. And we want you to understand that. So anyway, I'm sorry. I apologize for that. You're good, baby. Are you? Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, would you open your Bibles to the book of Genesis? We're going to float around in Genesis 40 and 41 today. I've just been informed that the total that has come in so far is $15,000. Peter, so yeah, that takes us to 30. We can feed a lot of kids for that. And uh, we'll give this you know, day because people are going to be putting checks in or whatever. But man, I'm, I was, I, when, when that guy told me that, I thought I'm believing for 30. Uh, so we just hit 30. So apparently it was above and beyond what I could think grass. So let's just, I need to ask my wife that she's got bigger faith for that kind of stuff. She usually asks for bigger things. So anyway, uh, it's not dollars. Those are lives. This isn't a project. These are people. And uh, Peter, thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. Uh, while you're going to Genesis, um, how many of you know Audrey Cawthon, who is our Kidman... Fans of Audrey. I've known uh, Audrey, my wife and I have known Audrey since she was uh, a young teenager herself. And remember the little feisty versions of her. And her mom would tell stories about Audrey when she was little, two, three, four years old, when they would tell Bible stories at night. And then mom would ask the question, what, uh, what we, if this happened or whatever, what would Jesus want you to do? If this was you, what would Jesus want you to do in this situation? And her, uh, her general statement, which became famous around her as she got older and as a teenager, was punch them in the face. That was <laughs> what she uh, had taken from that Bible lesson. Uh, <laughs> Turn over the tables. Hey, you wanted to punch him in the face. Now, uh, if you've been around a little bit, you might have seen this little blonde Spitfire that's about two years old. In fact, first service, she uh, right middle of worship, she just comes busting through the door, uh, not because she's an escapee, but because she pretty much runs the place. Her name is Lily, and she is Audrey's two-year-old 
daughter. And Audrey, reading her um, daughter a Bible story at night, you know how sometimes you take some of the same traditions of, your, of what you would do with your kids, and now you're doing with your kids. And, and this, is what, uh, this is what happens when uh, Audrey gives this Bible story, keeping in mind, she's never heard Audrey say these words before. Hey, what would, what would Jesus want you to do if somebody was mean to you? Touch them in the face. Your kids are in good hands at the kid ministry here. There is no flannel graph for that. Audrey, when she heard that out of Lily's mouth for the first time, actually called her mother going, you are not going to believe what just happened. I've never said that to her before. Somehow inside of her is the same thing that came out of me. And what that is, and if you've had children, uh, you know that they somehow get the spirit of their parent inside of them. The essence of who they are somehow is imparted into these children, miraculously or whatever, spending time around them so that she never had to teach her the phrase, punch, her, punch them in the face. She just had to be Audrey. And if you're Audrey, that would have been the, the first instinct as a kid. So that's how she learned that. The spirit of Audrey is in her. And parenthetically, Audrey was in a uh, country in North Africa with us at some point um, and had a, I'm going to get this story a little bit wrong, uh, but had a pizza that she had ordered uh, and was carrying the pizza back to our hotel when a young man decided to steal the pizza from her, which went pretty poorly for the young man who... (laughs) Wanted to, it's a pizza for crying out loud. Like, get it, we'll buy another one. But, but not for Raj, because punch them in the face wasn't just something from three years old that carries on into, because Raj is a fighter. She's scrappy. The spirit of Raj lives inside of Lily. And what we see in Genesis 41 is God asking, or Pharaoh, I'm sorry, asking There's a crisis coming, and he says, Genesis 41, verse 37, is there anyone in Egypt, anyone here in whom the Spirit of God lives? Is there anyone here? Can we find anyone in whom is the Spirit of God? See, there was a crisis coming to Egypt that had all the money in the world. They had the best army on the planet, They had access to the most brilliant minds. We called them magicians with the magi. They were the ones that were the brilliant ones. This is the culture that that would actually invent written language in papyrus. And none of that was going to save them from the crisis that was coming to their country. They needed someone in whom was the spirit of God. And I would like to suggest to you that today, in 2020, in the United States of America, we have the best military on the planet. We have been printing money like Monopoly. We are access to the brightest minds. And I don't know if you've paid attention this last year. None of that has saved us. None of it will save us. What we need are men and women who are full of the spirit of God. Is there anyone here at Conduit Church that is full of the spirit of God? Now, a good question might be, how did that happen for Joseph? And how could it happen for us? 
I would suggest to you that the things that Joseph had happen in his life that seemed so confusing probably in the moment, that seemed painful and inexplicable, that seemed unjust and unfair, those very things were the very things that were percolating and incubating the Spirit of God inside of him. You see, Joseph was going to need the pit before he was allowed to be in the palace. It was the pit that prepared him for moving into the palace. He needed the prison before he was given power. There's a lot of people on this planet that have been given power before they were prepared for it and they leave in their wake harm and abuse and a trail of bodies behind them because they were not prepared for the power. And what they need most, what you and I need most before palace, before the power, what we really need is the spirit. The spirit inside of us is what keeps power in check. The spirit inside of us is what keeps us free inside of a palace. And it is the spirit that will not allow us to squander any significance that God has given us. That's what I want to talk about this morning. And we're going to ask the question, what is true about God based on what we read? When you go to the pit before the palace, remember what the pit was? The pit that he just came out of? The pit he was in was an empty cistern. That's what Genesis chapter 39 tells us. And Jeremiah 2 verse 13 tells us that the cisterns is a representative of empty religion. Like my, my people, Jeremiah 2, 13, have committed two sins. They've forsaken the fountain of living water and they have dug for themselves cisterns, cisterns that hold no water. Joseph spent time in a cistern that nothing was going to get him out of on his own. Someone was going to have to rescue him out of that. And I believe in our modern context, the older we get, I don't know how many about you felt the same thing, but I spent time in some empty religion and I clawed my way around in it. I dug deeper, I dug the cistern deeper only to find out that it didn't hold water. And in those early days of me being religious, of me being trying to keep the rules and the policies and the procedures and the regulations and the whatevers, only to realize that it left me empty and dry. And I can be thankful for that empty cistern now because it prepared me for where God was taking me to. And where God was taking Joseph to was a palace. Now think with me, he's in a palace, in a prison, in the palace. That's what it says. He wasn't just in a, like the county lockup. It wasn't like the state penitentiary. This was a jail inside Potiphar's house. Ancient cultures, this was very common. If you're going with me to Israel, we'll go to Caiaphas's house. And in the basement of Caiaphas's house is where Jesus was held before trial. Jason, several of you were there. Phyllis was there. And we worship the Lord in this place where we are almost 99% certain that Jesus had been held. You can still see the hole where the chains go through to lock, to hold somebody to the ceiling in it. But in that, that was the kind of prison that uh, Joseph was being held of. It was inside of his master's house. And that's pretty pertinent because in the pit where Joseph realized that he had no control over anything, that he, he was totally dependent on God, he's now in this basement of a palace and he is still, I would suggest to you, even in this prison, the freest man in Egypt. He's for sure the freest man in this house. What do I mean by that? Potiphar was wealthy. 
so wealthy that he needed somebody to control everything he had, which was Joseph's job. But per se, why did he not execute Joseph? If this man believed his wife and his wife was sexually assaulted by Joseph, he should have, could have, and would have executed him, cut his head clean off. Maybe it's because he didn't believe her. Maybe it's because Mrs. Potiphar, he had a tiger by the tail. And you know what that means. The tiger, uh, you're in charge until the tiger says, you're not. In addition to that, the possessions, the keeping track of all of this. Many of us, there's nothing wrong with having possessions. Many of us in this room have very nice things. But you know as well as I do that there is a point that you can reach where you no longer have the possessions and the possessions have you and you are more of a slave than Joseph was in the same house. Potiphar was a slave to his things. He was a slave to his palace. And because Joseph learned in a pit that he was not going to be owning any of this, that he was 100% dependent on God, that he could find himself as a slave in prison in the basement of this guy's house and still be more free because he didn't carry any of the burdens and any of the fears that Potiphar was carrying on himself. There's one other part of this that I think is why the pit is important to prepare a lot of peas this morning, to prepare us for what God has for us. And that is that in the pit, you are holding on to God in ways that you don't hold on to him when times are going good. And it's true, you know it and I know it. I, I know it because when I get super, like, well, for instance, I'll, I'll, just a good example. I, uh, for most of my adult life, uh, was afraid to fly. Kind of hilarious when you think about it. But genuinely afraid, get very spiritual on a plane. Uh, like I'm witnessing to neighbors. I got my Bible open, which parenthetically, great way to get people to not talk to you on a plane. <laughs> open your Bible. Uh, you, that and talk about aliens. Either one of those, you'll get them to not talk to you. But, you know, I, I'm 99.99% sure I'm, I'm right about grace. But just in case I'm not, I'm being real spiritual on the plane. Just, to, just in case. But over the years... That has, I've overcome that fear. So much so that this little uh, bucket of bolts held together by duct tape zip ties and a lot of prayer is what I flew over the mountains of Haiti last week. And I promise I didn't feel afraid the whole time. So much so that I'm actually screwing with the guy in front of me who's on one of his first times on one of these planes going, hey, if the wings aren't flapping, we're in trouble. Like, that, those wings aren't flapping. We got to... I, I've officially achieved that because I've overcome that thing now. Because in the pit of, I mean, I'm joking about praying on a plane. I'm joking about on a Bible on a plane. But let me tell you, man, when you're sitting in a chair in the sky over Iran, picturing the made-for-TV movie they're going to make about the pastor who crashed in Iran that probably Andy's going to make, that uh, I'm... That, those are the things I'm thinking. I'm not sleeping at all. I'm thinking there is nothing but 30,000 feet below me in this chair. I don't think about that anymore. The Lord has allowed me through that because I was praying through that and I found closeness with the Holy Spirit. But do you think that the Lord is going to let me? He's not no, so concerned about my comfort. He's concerned about my covenant. He's concerned about my relationship. And so he continually gives me new things to be scared of. So this one... I'm in Haiti. It's one of the safest places on the planet. I thought, I mean, I was so naive. I love going to Haiti. These are my friends. I've, I have slept amazingly well at night in Haiti's in this little town I'm in. But in the last year, things have really become tenuous there. 
priests and nuns and filmmakers are being kidnapped in ridiculous numbers. And, and I'm like, I got to stay home. I can't. And all I'm thinking is, I have, I am, am I going to let fear control me to stop doing something to God? All the easy places are taken. Who's going to go to the hard places? I'm preaching to myself. I even went to my wife a little bit for some pity. You know, some, I don't know if you guys do that. Because I'm like looking for her to give me the, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't go and got none of that. All I got was, do you believe God's promises or not? You know, you're immortal until God's done with you this side of heaven. I mean, so I'm going to Haiti, I guess. So I'm, and, I, and I'm, I'm still, whatever. So the Apple Air Tags, you guys familiar with those? This is going to show you exactly where my mind went for this trip. The Apple Air Tags are this new thing where they track you with, I bought four of them. Okay, I put one in my shoe, one in my pocket, one in my shirt, and a fourth one, I kid you not, so that I could swallow... I, which God only knows if that would even work, probably not. But I was trying, so that if I get kidnapped, then someone will know where to find me. Fully knowing that the Haitian police aren't coming for me, there is no Haitian military, nobody's coming. I texted my buddy Sam Childers, the machine gun preacher, um, just to say, hey, just in case, this is our thing and my wife will be here. I've thought it all through, because I have this illusion of control. But in those nights laying and staring at the ceiling, wondering if that knock on the door was my turn. Man, I was back in the pit, and I was back in, in, on my knees. I was in prayer. It's just something about that, that God allows us in those pits because he knows that I get out here and I'm doing great. I'm on my knees. But when I have no control at all, I'm on my knees. That's what he's looking for from us. And that pit, it prepared him for this palace where Joseph was going to be on his knees because what he was going to need to be was a guy that was in this palace, in a prison, not punishing. When these guys come in, by the way, to get their dreams interpreted for them, which you see, he doesn't kick them out. He doesn't berate them. He doesn't shame them because he himself has been thrown in a pit. He himself has been unjustly accused. And now he has empathy that he would have had no other way before. And he only got it because of the preparation that happened in that pit. And not to be outdone, he was going to be given power because He's going to be given some dreams from Pharaoh to interpret. And I don't know if you uh, noticed this or not, but I want to show you this very specifically in the few minutes I have. I'm aware of the time. Verse 1 of chapter 41, it says what? Two more years. Joseph interpreted the dream of the cup right? The cupbearer for the king and the baker. They both come to him. He interprets the dreams. One of them, their head is going to be raised up, he says. The other one, his head is going to be raised up, but then put on a pole. So a little bit of a different vibe going. And in three days, those dreams come true. And Joseph says to the cupbearer, when you see the king, remember me. And what happens? The cupbearer does not remember him. And why is it that God would have allowed that to happen? Imagine had Joseph gotten out on that day when the cupbearer got out. What's the best that could have happened for him? He was a free man. He probably would have went back to Canaan. He probably would have exacted justice and revenge on his brothers. And when the time came when Egypt needed a man full of the spirit to lead them out, nobody would have known where he was. You see, the prison for Joseph was not 
punishment, it was preparation. An incubator and a jail cell have a lot of the exact same tendencies. It's locked, you can't get out, it's hot, you have no control. But an incubator is preparing you, a jail cell is punishing you. Maybe what you think is a jail cell is an incubator and God is preparing you for something that is coming down the lines. It's what he did for Joseph. Because one point at that day, two years later, when he is released, is when Pharaoh is standing on the Nile River. Pharaoh has the dream and suddenly the cupbearer goes, oh, I totally remembered this guy. Total brain fart, I forgot. There's this guy back in jail who can interpret this dream. And at that moment, when that happened, Joseph, who went into Egypt with metal steel chains around his wrist, on that day rose up in Egypt with a gold chain around his neck, given another coat. A coat that got him in trouble in Potiphar's wife. A coat that got him in trouble with his brothers. That coat was being prepared for him the whole time. But at this point, Joseph was finally prepared to wear the coat. And the reason he was prepared to wear the coat was that he had learned that what was incubating inside of him for all of those years, we're talking 13 years at this point, was the spirit of God was being incubated inside of him. He was being risen to a place of significance, a place of purpose, but he was ready for it now. There are too many people in our country, too many people in political power, too many people in pastoral positions and spiritual leaders who have made it to significance, but they don't have the spirit, and the damage that can be done is terrible. I'm, I'm, if I'm being honest, boy, I'd, I'd rather have the palace without the pit I'd rather have the power without the prison, but God knows better because he knows me and he knows you. Joseph said in verse 16 of chapter 41, I can't do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I can't fix the problems in this country, but God will give the answers that he desires. I can't even fix the problems in this church for crying out loud. I think after 11 years, I figured that out but God can, and depending on the Holy Spirit is the way out and the way forward. And the last thing is really simply this, what is true about God? Of of everything we just read, what do we look at and know is true about God? And it is very simply this, he doesn't waste your pain. The cupbearer forgot him, the cupbearer didn't see him, but God didn't forget him and God did see him. And he would name his children Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh simply said, because he allowed me to forget my troubles and my family. Ephraim, because he allowed me to see fruitfulness in my suffering. Does that mean that he forgot his family's name? No, we're going to see in a few chapters. He remembers all of his brothers. He, he recognizes them and starts screwing with them a little bit. He knows who they are. It's not them that he forgets. It's his ability to forget, to overcome the pain and the hurt that they caused him. I want to read a quote to you from one of the greatest philosophers in modern times. 
uh, a guy named Mike Tyson. <laughs> Tyson was asked a question about how was he able to forgive the people around him? And he was talking to a young man. It's an internet clip that's all over right now. You can find it. And this young man is, man, you do me wrong and I cut you off. And Tyson said this, and you do that and the devil wins. Because, listen, this is what he said. He wins because he changed you. He wins because he is your master. He controls your emotions. He wins because he's not your enemy. He's your master. What was Joseph? A slave. And I said it last week, said it the week before, I'll say it again today, but he was the freest man in Egypt because God allowed him to forget his pain and his hurt. Not that he ignored it. I don't believe that at all. I believe that God healed it and that they are no longer his master because you're, he says it this way, but Tyson goes on, because you're not who you used to be now. He stole that away from you. You allowed him to do that. He can't do that if you allow him to. And the fact is, is that many of us in this room have been hurt by our families. We've been hurt by our friends and they did something that is genuinely wrong and you can 100% put them in the category that they're cut off and I'm never speaking to them again and I understand boundaries and I understand abuse and I'm not suggesting that you put yourself back in an abusive situation. Please, for the love of God, do not hear me say that. What I am hearing, what I am saying is don't let them be your master by controlling your emotions, by controlling the way you think and the way that you feel. Don't give them the real estate in your mind. And the second thing he said was this, he named him Ephraim, which is that in the land of my suffering, he made me fruitful. He turns our suffering into fruit. And here's what I think. I think these children are named in this order because there's a specific order that has to happen here. And it would be important for me to let you know that I don't believe you and I have the power on our own to accomplish this. This is what the gospel is all about. That allowing the gospel to sink deeper into me empowers me to forgive. Uh, there are not enough Tony Robbins mantras in the world. Deepak Chopra, you can memorize that crap all day long and it doesn't give you the power to forgive. The gospel does. And here's how it gives you the gospel. When I take that inside of me, realizing that Jesus could have punished me, that the crimes that I have committed against Jesus, that not only did he forgive me of it, he took my punishment for it. And how can I, knowing what he did for me, now try to punish you in a way that Jesus wouldn't even punish me for? It gives me the freedom. Jesus was thrown in a pit. Jesus descended before he ascended and in that power gives us the power now to forgive those around us. He gives us to look at the suffering that he went through, his suffering when his body was put in the ground, fruit grew, he made his suffering fruitful and at the very end of Joseph's life, at the end of Jacob's life in Genesis 49, the, the blessing that Jacob gives to Joseph is that you are a fruitful vine, a vine that grows over the walls with fruit for your neighbors, a picture of Jesus, he is the vine I am the branch and if I am attached to the vine that vine produces the fruit of the spirit which is love I can't do that on my own I could do it for a little bit I can fake it but it's the fruit of the spirit that will bring me through it 
If you're in a pit today, can you find a way to be thankful for it because it's moving you forward somewhere? If you're locked up in a prison today, can you find a way to look at it and think, God is moving me somewhere for hopeful for this because there is a palace in your future. There is power in your future and God is preparing you for something specifically in your life, whether it's some big thing, some little thing, whether it is simply to raise your children in the admonition and the nurture of the Lord. Could that be enough for you if that was God's will for you? But to do it, out of love and out of compassion and out of fruit. Well, what a blessing for that for all of us. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, it is Mother's Day. I pray, Lord, that we impart the spirit of us into our children. But more than that, we are allowing the spirit of God to be inside of our children and that our children... Inside of them is the spirit of the Lord. We pray for that right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray as we leave here today, as we love uh, each other, as we step out, that we can step out into a place of influence. Uh, and once again, for Peter, for our brothers and sisters in India right now, Lord, would you lift them up? It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.